Join us on the steps of 36, a question and answer conversation that crosses thresholds into the histories, lives, influences, and stories of the person and figure behind their work. A podcast by RAA at the Architectural Association. In this episode, we are joined by Stephanie Edwards. So welcome to On the Steps of 36, a place where we have a lot of informal conversations at the AA and uh, a chance for us to catch up with um, friends of the school. So I'm really excited today to be talking to you, Stephanie. Are you ready to answer some questions? I think so. <laughs> so to start with, uh, can you tell us your full name and date of birth? So my full name is Stephanie Ann Edwards. And my date of birth is the 21st of November, 1984. Great year to be born. Oh, snap. <laughs> no, I was born in 1986. <laughs> but, you know, Good I could age. have been born two years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have a nickname or do you still? Uh, probably quite boring, but Steph. Had a few Steffies, but not many. It always makes me turn my head if anyone calls me Steffy. Mm. But, yeah, mostly Steph. Do you go by Steph or Stephanie? I don't mind. I don't mind. Introduce myself as Stephanie, but I don't mind a step. <laughs> and uh, in terms of your childhood, where did you grow up? So I grew up in North London. I grew up in Enfield. Um, so very much in the outskirts of London, um, in North London. Um, yeah, with my family. I now live in North London. So, Do you? Um, yeah, not so far away from Enfield. So. Where about? <laughs> in Stamford Hill. Oh, nice, um, nice. So, yeah, it's a great place to live. Right side of the river. <laughs> yeah. And what was the home like that you grew up in? What kind of typology was it? Or? Um, so I lived in two two houses when I was growing up. Um, both, yeah, a three-bed terraced house, um, both on quite nice streets. Um, yeah, just it's a bit of a leafy suburb, really. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how many of you lived together in, in this kind of terraced house? Um, so it was both my mum and dad and my younger sister. Um, so just four of us. That sounds nice. I have a younger sister too. Um, <laughs> sister's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although we also like have had our moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so did you have a favourite toy as a child? I was thinking about this question. Um, so I had this toy teddy bear. Um, which was a toy teddy bear. It was a toy. It was a dog. So it was this um, this this fluffy dog that I loved and actually like, absolutely hated as well. So I'd take it to bed with me, throw it out of bed, and um, I also don't really like animals so much. I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that, but um, so I had a bit of a love hate relationship with this little, yeah, fluffy dog that I used to take around with me. What made you hate it? I don't know. It'd scare me in the night. <laughs> such a weird thing to say. I think it's like very unusual, but kind of quite distinctive. Yes. <laughs> I wonder what it did to you. <laughs> um, so were there any foods that you refused to eat when you were young? Um, I didn't really live in that type of household. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> so we just ate what we were given. But um, we've always, I've never really been a fussy eater. Um, I can eat anything really. Um, but that's been quite nice, especially like traveling to different places. But yeah, nothing. You could put anything on my plate, actually. Um, yeah, I quite enjoy most things. I know. I, I feel like that's now become a problem in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm like, say no, Stephanie, say no. <laughs> 
Well, you're very good. You refused the ice cream I offered you before we Barely. came down to record this. <laughs> um, and now we're regretting our decisions because we're in a really hot room recording this podcast. We are. Um, so what was your most memorable holiday before you left home? Oh, um, with with my family or just um, at... Oh, okay. I think it could be like, I guess, any time in your childhood. But I guess since we were just speaking about a kind of food and enjoying food and traveling and eating different cuisines, maybe it's a food related memory or it could be anything. Um, so I guess before I left home, I went on this amazing trip to Brazil. It was like a six week trip to Brazil. We traveled to Rio de Janeiro, to Foz do Iguaçu, to, uh, to the northern areas, to Sao Paulo. To, I mean, so we traveled um, quite far around, went to Brasilia, um, of course. Um, and it was just the most amazing experience. Oh, it was just so fantastic. It was so memorable. I'd say it's one of my mem- most memorable trips, but I went with my sister. Um, and yeah it was just great in terms of food like just amazing Brazilian food but the amazing drinks the caipirinhas the people um, and really yeah just really trying to understand those you know how Brazil why Brazil is the way it is why it looks the way it is all of its um, great facets great culture links to you know West Africa also a lot of the you know the problematic issues of um, the separations the segregations but um but but also really enjoyed it as a real like cultural experience from um yeah all different sides but yeah great great and memorable trip were you already interested or studying architecture when you went? I was, yeah. I think I was in my um, first or second year. So I dragged my poor sister around Brasilia, which isn't made for walking. <laughs> <laughs> she'll, always t- she'll always tell people that, I, you know, we um, definitely had some sunstroke whilst we were trying to find some of Oscar Neumeyer's work. But... <laughs> I took some students on a unit trip there and uh, we didn't plan it well enough. And then on the day we arrived, I was like, oh God, we're going to need a tour guide. And so I went on TripAdvisor and found this tour guide and I had no idea what to expect, but he was like amazing. He, he did all these like singing tours, performances. I mean, he was the most extra person. And so I can never think of Brasilia without thinking of this man I found on the internet. <laughs> But the students left it, so they walked out. Um, but yeah, I guess um, maybe this is a good segue to ask you how you would describe what you do now. Oh, what I do now. Um, so I'm an architect um, and urban designer, but really... Um, what I do now is um, I've co-founded this practice called Urban Symbiotics, and that's where we really focused on yeah user-led and user-focused design um, and creating almost human environments, but really putting people right at the front and centre. So whether that's shaping physical space or working with communities to develop spaces for them, but also innovating by understanding um, the aspirations of people, of communities, um, and working um, yeah in whether it's like like high streets or um, town centres or larger regeneration or master planning schemes. So we're doing a lot of different work from the very small scale um, to the larger scale. And so um, just to elaborate a bit further on what we do, and my business partner's a uh, product designer. So we're very much taking that product design perspective of um of developing within the built environments, whether that's architecture or products within space or programs. We're really looking at almost facilitating the need of what people want in their space. Um, And so with that open-minded 
approach, we're really starting to find some really interesting um, gems and really nice projects to work on. So at the moment we're doing that. So a bit of urbanism, a bit of engagement, um, yeah, focused on, yeah, user-focused design. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I remember your amazing new models lecture that really talked so specifically about that as the kind of way we should maybe all be practicing to really engage people more in the process. But I think the interdisciplinary kind of approach that you have is really fascinating, especially because you're working with a product designer, um, which I guess not a lot of architects do in terms of setting up a practice with somebody. So I'm just curious if you always knew what you would end up doing uh, that's a really interesting question um, because obviously I'm an architect, but an architect that builds when we need to, when I need to, but not necessarily um, if we don't think it's necessary. And so I never wanted to become an architect. <laughs> that was something I definitely said out loud, out loud numerous times to my, to my parents. Um, I was really interested wanting to study anything that's quite artistic or creative. Um, but coming from, um, you know, backgrounds where, you know, both my parents are from the Caribbean, um, it wasn't necessarily a route, going down the art route, a place that, an, you know, a career that would necessarily relate to... Um, you know, actually getting an income. So my mum was always telling me, become an architect, at least I can understand how that can translate. And I was like, I will not. <laughs> but then, um, of course, I became an architect. Um, but I'm very much focused on uh, really understanding people to help develop them from that perspective. So I'm an architect. I wouldn't say I necessarily knew I always wanted to become an architect because... Yeah, it's quite the opposite, really. Yeah, but I find that really funny because I feel like a lot of people who come from, I don't know, like I I have two, both my parents are Indian and uh, they were also very keen that I, I wanted to do kind of journalism or something more arty. And they were just like, no, you have to do something like sensible that's going to give you a career. And so architecture was a compromise. And then, of course, I'm now not really building buildings or doing anything like that. So um, I think they struggle to understand that too. And I think in a weird way, the AA seems to attract a lot of people who are interested in the kind of wider or expanded understanding of architecture, um, which I don't I don't think we make enough of maybe um, in how we talk about the school. But that's probably a whole other conversation. Um, but I guess like, you know, when you were talking about user focused or user led design, what are the kind of tools that you use when when kind of consulting with people and communities? Um, I'd say one of my biggest or some of the tools I use is definitely communication, um, translating some of the language we use as architects or within the built environment to translate that into something that anyone can understand. Someone like a lay person or someone on the street can understand like from a five year old to a 75 year old from, you know, any background and really trying to understand and work with them. So I very much use my empathy to try and understand their approach um, to how they use space and what are their barriers, what are the things they enjoy. So yeah, I'd say, yeah, my tools are to almost, yeah, communicate, to explain, to really listen um, and understand. And then, of course, um, my skills in um, urban design and architecture, looking at how that can be translated into something that is realisable. Um, so whether that is a, you know, regeneration strategy, whether that's an event, whether that's a focus group or, you know, a community group that comes together, um, yeah, really use, using those tools. But I think first and foremost is really that empathy. Yeah, one of my tools I'd say is empathy. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, I think maybe more people should see that as like a way to, to practice 
Um, and I guess how is that reflected in the kind of space in which you work? Or like, how do you, do you see yourself as somebody who doesn't have a fixed place of work and you're kind of constantly going out into the community? Or do you have a place where you kind of bring people there and or where you get your work done? <laughs> Oh, it's, oh, such a combination. Really good question. Um, so I do a lot of work from home at the moment because we're doing a lot, as everyone is, um, online. But we have an office in Vauxhall, which is um, in an old Dalton factory, it's an old like China factory, um, which has been you know, transformed and into like office spaces, but it has a lot of co-working space. And we have an office there that open up into lots of different spaces, which allows us to do workshops and meet different people. But we've also just opened a shop um, in an old 60s mall um, in Dagenham Heathrow. So oh, wow. we open that once a week to the community to come and talk to us about what works, what doesn't work, what changes they'd like to see. And to almost have that you know, a shop that exchanges ideas. So instead of having that retail shop, it's a bit of an experiential shop. And then we have this big pink gazebo that we just pop up wherever we need. So whether that's at a station or within a park, um, we really try and, um, yeah, just set up shop or start street conversations or put it in the place of our project. So we whether that's in, you know, Norfolk for a, a project we recently completed or East London or South London. We try and go to the places that we work in to really embed ourselves almost um, to get, you know, to really have a true understanding of people and place. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of a shop front and like really rethinking, especially right now when high streets are really under threat and people are trying to rethink what should actually happen on high streets post uh, COVID. I think that's such an interesting thing to to already see that as a place to kind of have conversations with local groups, but also the kind of pop up pink gazebo sounds wonderful as well. <laughs> we have matching um, pink hoodies. Too. Oh, wow. Oh, God, I love it. It's like a whole a whole experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I guess like from physical space to the digital space, is there an app you can't live without or that you use all the time? I could probably live without most of my apps, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, there are moments I just take all my apps off of my phone. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite um, cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I need to learn from your discipline. <laughs> I mean, it definitely comes back on the next day, but I like the, um, that notion. But it's definitely something that, yeah, I could I could definitely live without. Yeah, definitely. That's good to know. So you're a physical space person. I am, yes. Yeah, definitely am. Great. Well, and then if there was one technological device that you could invent, what would it be? So I would invent like a viewfinder or viewpoint so that everyone could have a layer or of um, a perspective of empathy. I think that would just be such a fantastic device, even for myself, you know, really to truly understand someone else's opinions or drivers so that you can understand their experience, why they act the way they act. And yeah, many of the kind of issues I think we have, you know, in our small communities in the wider world is just that lack of understanding of different realities, different struggles. And I mean, that would be the most amazing device. Plus, obviously, a device to stop time and fast forward. <laughs> that would oh my be gosh. great. I hope, you, I hope you get to invent all of these. <laughs> I can already see how I could use all of that. <laughs> Somebody give us some investment, please. <laughs> So um, where do you live now? 
Um, so I live now in northeast London, so just to the edge of London, right next to Epping Forest, which um, is great because I get a seat on the tube um, either either way. And uh, we're right next to Epping Forest, which especially during the pandemic was just such a godsend, just the most amazing space for well-being, for mental health, for yeah, reconnecting and having that space away from apps and just being in touch with nature and I didn't realize how important that was to me um probably until the pandemic but yeah such a great resource to be on that end and we're also experiencing some um really a, an intensification and revival of our high street being on the outskirts of London which is super interesting so we have quite a nice little community um up there yeah I don't I don't know I mean um I barely spent any time in my local neighborhood before the pandemic and then discovered all these amazing green spaces. And I couldn't believe that I'd just been like living so close to them for so long and never used them. And uh, yeah, I became quite obsessed with like going there every day. And it, as you say, it was like a really lovely place to kind of detach from all of all technology and just see nature. Yeah. See <laughs> kind of also. almost unfold before your eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just, I didn't realize what an asset that truly is. I mean, we talk about it in practice, you know, you must be by green space for your mental health and you, you know, you ha must have it for leisure purposes, but there's nothing about experiencing that truly. I mean, you found a nature reserve that was really close by too and, yeah. yeah just I guess like if there was one hidden building or space uh in your neighborhood that you would recommend to visit what would it be oh I would say do you know I had a different answer for this question but in my neighborhood I'd definitely say there's this, the most amazing nature reserve and um, that you can get to but you have to go through you almost have to pass the dump you'd never know it's there and it's just the most beautiful space it's almost like this enchanted garden oh, amazing. and do you know what, what it's called <laughs> it's a hidden space manager <laughs> okay people, you know, listeners you have to seek this out uh, you heard her directions <laughs> past the dump <laughs> I, I uncover the enchanted forest <laughs> enchanted like nature reserve um no i'm i'm going to check this out i'm going to make you take me oh, <laughs> please do i'll take you on a tour <laughs> okay so stay tuned i'll tell people um in the next podcast we'll tell you how to get there <laughs> um so what's your i guess favorite building currently in existence this is probably like the question that all architects dread <laughs> oh it's really interesting it's probably my the first love of um it was the building i've always really really enjoyed and I'd say it's um, a building designed by Tado Ando, um, Church on the Water. And I just love this space because it's a, it's a concrete building, but it has the window towards nature and it allows the building to evolve with the seasons. And it really works with that almost ritual of of religion or just ritual of almost spirituality but also what I really enjoy about it is it it speaks to a lot of the principles of different religions about you know connecting to nature connecting to the earth you know placing yourself in the present um, and really seeing that right you know at the forefront enabling really using building the built form um, and the building as an enabler and as a frame to you know, what we all thrive on and what we exist from, what we come from, what we go back to. and Just such a beautiful piece of work. Um, yeah, just, I, it definitely has to be yeah. one of the top. Um, yeah, one of my top favourites. 
And if you could visit a building or a piece of architecture that no longer exists, what would that be? I'd love to see the the pyramids with all of its artifacts, you know, with all of the elements that have now been since displaced and removed and, you know, statues that have been defaced. I'd love to have actually seen that as a prideful place, a place where you could see that in action, you know, culturally, ritually. Um, I'd really enjoy seeing that. I've been to see, you know, the Great Pyramids, but to see, it almost feels out of context. It feels as if there's a lot missing from those spaces. So I'd love to see it in its, yeah, it's in its entirety. Um, if you could select one vehicle to travel around the world in, what would it be? Maybe on your trip to, to your time traveling trip back to the pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrestled with this answer. I was like, oh, it would be really great to fly, but obviously in a really sustainable way. Um, and then I thought, you know, I always wanted to, I always wanted to be transported um, to different places, almost, you know, like for a transporter that you'd see in Star Trek instantly. But since the pandemic, I love a commute. Like I really enjoy that space. I didn't realise that until it was taken away. Then I thought, oh, I'd like to fly. I'd like to still see what's happening. You know, so then I was almost like an, an invisible hot air balloon. Oh, wow. Yeah. My God, you really need someone to invest in these ideas. <laughs> and I want to travel in invisible hot air balloon. Close enough to the ground. <laughs> High enough. <laughs> fast enough. Not too fast. <laughs> Very random. Good criteria. <laughs> and uh, I guess what building material would you say that you think is really just awful and you despise? Mm, I... Don't just, I, I think if you use a material, I mean, I, I don't think there is one. I think there's always a way if you don't like it, transform it, mix it with something else. How can we start to um, reimagine and rediscover the materials, with, you know, that we like to use? I, I don't have a particular material that I despise. I was trying to think if I had one, but I can't think of anything. Yeah, no. Yeah, maybe like those like plastic window frames, but like even then, true, they are quite like, bad. If someone did something really interesting and reused them and made them a composite, as you say, <laughs> I'd probably really like them. <laughs> exactly. Can we just challenge ourselves yeah, to use them better? Exactly. Um, so, I guess moving now to like fun stuff. What would you say is your favorite restaurant in the city? Oh. Hmm. So there's quite a few different favorite places restaurants you said restaurants so it could I, be it doesn't have to be a restaurant it could be oh so many different so i really enjoy fish wings and tings in brixton probably because of the owner he's from trinidad they do the most amazing rotis but they also do the best rum punch oh, fantastic wow. space but love i mean it has i have just such good memories there like good memories uh meeting other people that's just happened to sit next to you, talking to the owner, meeting my sister. It was one of the places we could still go to in the pandemic because it was outside. Um, but yeah, the food is fantastic, but the music is also great. And the, the vibe is just, yeah, it's, it's just such a nice space. And it's, it, what I like about it too, is that it's in a part of Brixton that, you know, is seen to be gentrifying, but you can also see how you know, people within the community are benefiting and also able to to traverse that too. Um, so it's nice to see, um, yeah, independent businesses flourish with great Trinidadian food. 
Yeah, I mean, I this is like making me feel hungry now. But um, I uh, I think it's really fascinating in areas with, that are being gentrified, how that can happen on the terms of the people who are already there rather than them being pushed out. So yeah. that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, so that's really nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's not the case. Can, for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for everyone, unfortunately. But it's nice to see where that can happen, where it can, you know, benefit some people and... If we can see more of that, that'll be yeah. Good. Like I guess how we can learn from that to make sure that it doesn't like it, it, that more people can resist these forces of gentrification. Exactly. Um, so, what would you consider then your perfect meal? This description you gave earlier of rum punch and music it sounds like pretty perfect to me. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty perfect. Probably my ideal meal, like um, roti. I absolutely love roti, and my you know I was saying my parents are both from the Caribbean. My mum is from Trinidad and Tobago. And in Trinidad and Tobago, you have a population that is, you know, it's half from, you know, from an African descendant and half, you know, descendants from India. And so you have the most amazing food mixes from like roti that's very, you know, um, very specific to Trinidad. But they also have it in Guyana and other different um, countries that are quite mixed and have that population um, with a really good curry and that could be a curry goat or it could be you know even a chicken curry but the most yeah that would say is probably one of my real home comfort you know most amazing meals that you could have <laughs> super simple super delicious and uh, yeah rum punch would be great with it too <laughs> sounds sounds like the dream <laughs> And what was the last cultural event that you attended? It can be anything from going to the cinema or going to a talk or anything you consider to be something cultural. Um, I was at the Barbican yesterday and I went to see, um, I think it was postmodernism exhibition. It was really interesting because it was actually looking at, okay, what happened at this time outside of, you know, outside of just the few people that we speak to it's not just about you know the Hepworths and it's not just about that western ideal but actually about you know there's a big immigrant population um from the West Indies that came to the UK there was obviously um it was after the war so there's a lot of artists that are really struggling and dealing with that exile um a lot of um Jewish people that are really you know showcasing their art you have like Frank Bowling who's from Guyana who's really talking about the structures and um and the inequalities of the society that he was placed in as an artist and it's really quite nice because you can see how they're flipping the script almost looking at a different script um of a of a genre or of art that hasn't necessarily been told and I'm really enjoying that I think also, one of uh, I absolutely loved is um, an exhibition that's at the Tate Britain that was called, I think it was Life Between the Islands. And it talks about the influence of Caribbean artists and West Indian artists that moved to the UK and made such an incredible impression. And it was just so fantastic. It was a, a story that I haven't really seen told and just such fantastic artists that made a difference, but not only within the art world, but within activism. Um, some of them were from the Windrush um, generation, how they changed policies, how they how they really started, you know, some of those um, began to develop the Black Cultural Archives. Um, some of those started to look at education and how they were, you know, diseducating some of those who weren't from the UK originally, you know, this 
different population. And that was, it was just great because they had immersive experiences. You had the West Indian living room, which literally looked, it looked like a cut out version of my auntie's living room. It was exactly the same from the same, you know, carpet, from the, from the photo frames, from the TV, from the ornaments. And it really just spoke to, I guess, my heritage, um, but really showcased the change that was made um, from very small islands with very small populations. You know, my dad is from Grenada and they had less, you know, around 100,000 people on their island. But just to see like such small populations make such a big change to the UK. So it wasn't just an exhibition, an exhibition of art, but really, you know, a layer of history um, that, you know, I felt so privileged to really see and be, you know, be a part of. Yeah, and there's a real power to, I guess, finally seeing your heritage and your identity reflected in contemporary culture. Like, I often think sometimes now when I see stuff like that, like, how did we all, like, live without seeing that? And also allow, being able to share that with, with more people. I couldn't agree more. So it's just, yeah, it is really uplifting. Oh, so uplifting. I went to see, I'm telling you all now, but I, um, I went to see Althea McNish's um, exhibition at the uh, William Morris Gallery. And that was just, I mean, I felt quite emotional about it because she's a, again, she's from Trinidad. Um, She had the most amazing career. She, you know, sold so many, so much of her fabrics to Liberty and, and, you know, she's working on like, you know, the tube, um, like just the, you know, the seating and the fabric that we, that we sit on, you know, as part of our tube journeys. And, I felt quite emotional because I studied art, as I was saying before, I was really interested in art and I hadn't heard of her until probably about five years ago. And I felt, gosh, what a disservice. Like she's such an inspiration and a real role model. And I'm just so glad that she's being showcased now. I mean, you know, sadly, she passed away, um, I think in 2020, but her work just completely precedes herself and it's just it's just so nice for her to be you know within Walthamstow at a free a free gallery it's completely open but a really it really covered her work but also her personality it really showcased her as a person and um, I think the question uh, posed to her was you know how do you feel as a black woman succeeding um within this space and she was like well is that you know I, I wasn't aware you know, that I am that person, I, that I am, you know, the only black woman to have achieved so much. But as far as she was concerned that, you know, she was just doing what what she wanted to do. You know, she wanted to showcase her passion. And her answer was, you know, I may be the only black face in so many of these spaces, but her answer was good for them, you know? so <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I hope more people capture that spirit going forward. Um, and I guess if you could, I mean, you've had these really vivid experiences in exhibitions. And so if you could inhabit any film, what film would that be? Oh. <laughs> this is such a hard question. What's yours? My God, I have no idea. Um, I'm not being interviewed, you <laughs> Good. I haven't, Good. I haven't thought about any of my answers to these. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, I was really thinking about this. I mean, so when Black Panther came out a few years ago, I mean, it was, the, I mean, I'm not even a Marvel fan, but what a fantastic cast, what a fantastic costumes. Um, like such a great imagined reality. I mean, 
it just seemed like it'd be such a great place. If I wanted to inhabit a space in a film, I'd have to choose Black Panther. Yeah. That is a great answer. Just because I, I, I'd only watched it. I watched it on the plane on my way back from Johannesburg, where I'd been teaching a workshop. Or I'd, I'd gone to some crits there and everyone was like talking about Wakanda and they were like so <laughs> passionate about it. And then it was showing on my plane ride back and I watched it and I felt really emotional because it was so much more than a film to like all of those students. It was like a kind of alternate like a reality where the power structures were flipped. And I just think that's that's incredible incredible answer no I, I think yeah you're right it's so much more than a film it's it's licking at all the strengths of you know black culture or licking at all of the, and it you know really leans on all of the different constructs and cultures from the costumes to the culture and how they can come yeah. together to yeah this and also great to like future. feeling empowered and, oh, and powerful and yeah it's just it was a great way to use a story to give hope to people as well and I didn't realize that because like, I'm not a big Marvel fan either. So I didn't go out of my way to see it initially. But then seeing the impact that it had on people, I was like, I have to see this. And then it just happened to be on the plane <laughs> right back. And then I was just like crying on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the, the altitude makes you cry. Um, but it was really powerful. So mm. yeah, I, um, God, I didn't, answer, I didn't answer your question with something stupid. Because <laughs> your answer is much better. Um, so uh, what would you say your favorite television show is? So many. I watch too many television shows. I just watch too many. <laughs> right now, maybe, what's your right favourite now. television show? Oh, gosh. I mean, this is a very hard question to answer. So I'm not sure which is my favourite. Ozark is absolutely brilliant. It's so dark. That almost is like an alternate reality to me. What if you just decided to do something really dark but go, you know, full frostle. What are the, who do you become? <laughs> what aspects of your personality do you unleash? Um, super interesting. So well, well filmed. Great storyline. Great plot. Really interesting about identities. Bit of feminism in there as well. It's, have you watched it? I haven't because oh. uh, I think during the pandemic I became like so anxious and stressed I couldn't watch um, anything that required thinking so I just watched terrible TV but it is on my list of things now I find it coming out of it I can watch like good TV shows again uh, my only exception to that was Succession which I'm obsessed with um, okay that even was though, amazing even though they're like all the worst of humanity um, it's just so well made and like I guess the uh, I don't know I made my, I made my whole family re-watch it over Christmas because <laughs> they'd never seen it so I rewatched it but but Ozark everyone only has great things to say about Ozark so that's probably going to be the next thing I watch it's quite dark quite dark succession is also quite great <laughs> well I mean it's like a kind of I guess Breaking Bad was really dark but you were like couldn't help rooting for the the person who was doing terrible things because you just sort of had this weird empathy for him <laughs> so I don't know if Ozark is the same I didn't get into Breaking Bad <gasps> My God, I just couldn't do it. It just didn't appeal to me. Really You've got to push strange. past like half a season one and season two, then it gets really good. Um, but anyway, <laughs> poor Tom, he's going to have to edit loads of stuff. <laughs> Keep it all in, Tom. Keep it in. <laughs> um, so what is the first album you ever bought? I'm not sure. Um, it should be, you know, a really easy answer but one of the most memorable albums was share my world by mary j blige just i mean i don't think it was my first album but wow what an album i think i listened to that 
back to front, front to back every day are just so great. And what just an amazing human being and artist. So just brilliant. God, I can hear her voice in my head right now. It's really amazing. Um, and which musician do you secretly love but are embarrassed to admit it, at least until now? <laughs> oh, this is embarrassing, but it probably has to be the Spice Girls. <laughs> Everyone secretly loves the Spice Girls. Um, there's something about the Spice Girls. When you hear them playing at a party or something, you can't stop yourself. You have to start dancing. <laughs> Very embarrassing, but... Also, I mean, they, also, they talked about girl power at a time when, you know, no one was talking about That's that. That's true. This I'm trying to justify true. Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't, but this is part of the recording. Yeah, yeah. Tom, delete. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your favourite album right now? Or artist or song? Do I, do I listen to music? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, I always feel like that too, but um, I've been listening to Kendrick Lamar's new album on repeat over the last few days because I've just been sitting at home working and it's been really difficult because I've been trying to write things at the same time, but I've been listening to all the lyrics and so my writing has become very slow. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, music. My, my favourite album. Uh, Lil Sims' album's quite good. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I listen to music anymore. That sounds wow. terrible, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. I mean, like I barely listened to music until recently. I think during the pandemic, so I was spending so much time alone at home, I started to listen to more music. But maybe this is like a reminder that you should start listening to music. Oh, I didn't read this question. Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> uh, moving to something more kind of current, serious in terms of current events. Um, what do you feel about the current cost of living crisis? Oh, it's just... Oh, it's so heartbreaking. It's oh, it's just so awful. And I think what's been really interesting is us having a shop in Dagenham, um, part of the London Borough of Dagenham in um, East London. Um, it's, an, it's an area that's very deprived, um, probably one of the most deprived areas in London. And there are stories um, that are just really hard to hear and hard to hard to understand so somebody came in to the shop last week and told us that people are using solar lights that you put into your garden um to actually light their homes because they just can't afford to turn the lights on and this is how people are living and there was also this story of um our story a news article of people using mcdonald's as their living room as their bathrooms as a space that is open to them on their high streets and it's it's really sad to me because I think as a, as a society we sh how can we how can this be happening there's such you know there's such a divide um, but everyone is really is really going to suffer from this whether you are directly um, implicated or directly suffering from that cost of living crisis that you know we all need to live together and how can we as as designers, as built environment professionals, um, help with that, whether that's, you know, lower um, heating bills as we design um, new homes to at least enable that through like sustainable, you know, passive means, um, whether that's from creating spaces that are more open, that are more truly public so that people can use and not feel um, segregated from or have barriers against, but also the sense of... Um, you know, the new generations, there are those that, you know, became entrepreneurs because 
the cost of living wasn't so so much for them that they were able to spend some time to develop an idea um, with reduced, you know, reduced living costs. Like if you had a lower, you know, rent situation, um, you could you could start to develop a craft or develop, you know, develop a new business or start to really realise your full potential. And so the ramifications of this is it's just going to be huge um, from public safety to, you know, equality. It's, you know, I think it's going to be a really hard year or years, but we'll really see how that also unfolds over the decade. Um, but if there's if there's any way that we can really start to use our influence and our power, I think we really need to, we really need to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think you've framed it so well because it feels in so many ways like for so for the, for the people in society that are really going to bear the brunt of this, they've had no reprieve. Like they've had to deal with like, they've had the worst experience of the pandemic. Um, there's all the implications actually of Brexit, which we're not even fully feeling yet, but that are, you know, leading to increased food prices and food shortages. Um, and then now there's this on top of it with kind of fuel and heating electricity bills and stuff. And it's just... I don't know, it just feels so unfair. And uh, But I think the way you framed it in terms of thinking of what's our agency in being part of these systems and what can we do to actually mitigate some of this or at least help listen to, these pe to, to, to some of the people affected by this to make sure that their voices are heard or we think of strategies or, I don't know, here's hoping the government does the same. Here's hoping. <laughs> we'll be hoping for a long time. Yeah. But on that topic, I guess, if there was one ill of the world that you could vanish, what would it be? Oh, just this whole sense of just inequality. I know it's quite big, but what, why does it need to happen? Like, why why do we have structures that still enable this and still perpetuate this? It's just, I think it's quite ridiculous, actually. And again, I think actually everyone, um, there's a, ben a benefit to everyone having the resources to really start to propel us as a as a society, as a community, to move forward together. Um, and so this idea of inequality, whether that's through class, through socioeconomics, through, you know, ethnicities, ages even, we, we really need to, if we can really start to building a bit more, you know, equity or, I mean, if the whole, if we could just change that in a moment. It would be revolutionise everything. Yeah, um, you'd no, hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, you'd, ha you'd think it would just because I feel like this, it's become a never-ending cycle of in order for one person to succeed, everybody else has to suffer or someone else has to suffer. But it shouldn't have to be like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess it requires people in power wanting to share that or to realise that by sharing that, they don't diminish their own life. Exactly. To the degree that they think it will. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. But yeah, I, well, I hope that happens too. <laughs> um, okay, so this is like our quick fire round now. <laughs> um, having, having done these really thoughtful, <laughs> wonderful answers that have given me a lot of hope for the future, I'm just going to ask you a series of questions and you're just going to answer them really quickly. <laughs> so starting with, what's your favorite color? Black, pink, orange, blue. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you were fast, big multiple. <laughs> but it's fine, we'll allow it because I like lots of colors. What's your favorite season? Oh, summer. Oh, excellent choice. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you can say them like all your favorite colors in one go. <laughs> the correct answer is ice cream. Ice cream, <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> no, you should answer the question. 
guilty pleasure. Probably too much rum and coke, too much ice cream, um, dancing in inappropriate places, asking inappropriate questions. <laughs> I'm loving this. Um, I want to do all those things too. Um, okay, what is your most prized possession? Oh, my most prized sleep. hundred <laughs> percent agree. <laughs> what was your first experience with the AA? Oh, amazing that, um, oh, this is a different way of um, exploring architecture. That's what really brought me to the AA, that I could almost do architecture without almost doing architecture. <laughs> <laughs> we should put that on like our admissions pack. Um, could you describe the AA in one word? Oh, initially uh, complex. <laughs> Good. Um, well, I think that is all the questions we have for you today. Oh. Uh, thank you so much for being such an amazing person to have this chat with. Oh, and um, I definitely hope we can arrange lots of field trips after this to visit the Enchanted Reservoir or Nature Reserve near your um, home, as well as to go to Brixton for this amazing rum punch music, food and so much more. Definitely. So, um, yeah, I, I everyone listening is going to be very jealous, but hopefully they'll get <laughs> to seek you out and go on these two. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thanks, Manager. Thanks for listening to this episode. Air AA podcasts are developed, recorded, mixed and edited by the Architectural Association from our home on Bedford Square in central London. To find more episodes, view the show notes and explore other Air AA series, visit air.aaschool.ac.uk.